Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful night to be in the house of the Lord in Jesus' name. We're excited. First Wednesday night in a long time that I've been able to see actual faces, and it's so nice in Jesus' name. If you're on the, the live stream tonight, Sister C will be reading your comments to me and that sort of thing, so you can still reply on Facebook, and she will help us out. But tonight, before we get started, I wanted to read a scripture that God had given to me in prayer, and it is quite a sobering and a humbling scripture. I'm just going to read it. I'm not really going to explain it because I don't feel that this is the place right now to explain it. But I'm going to read this scripture, and then I feel that we need to pray for our nation, our country, our city, the things that we're, we're going through. Yes. Scripture says that a house divided against itself will not stand. And it's very clear about that. And, and this thing is trying to infiltrate Christian rank as well, very much so. It's trying to infiltrate groups like this that we have different opinions. And I'm not going to give you a political opinion. I'm just going to give you scripture and what, what God tells us here and, and that sort of thing. That's what we got to trust and what we got to believe in. But ultimately, we can't let division come amongst us. And it says this in 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I'm not pointing this at any particular group tonight. Please do not think that that is what I am doing. I, I think that there's some injustice that absolutely needs to be served throughout this event. However, I believe that this is starting to rise up in people as well in what we can see across our nation and the foolishness that sometimes happens as a result of some of these things going on. So if we could lift our hands tonight, let's just pray. Let's just pray that God would open the eyes of our nation, the people around us, and let him impact those places in Jesus' name. God, we believe that tonight. God, that there may be a delusion that is out there, but Jesus, you are the one that can open eyes that need to be opened, Jesus. I believe that you will strengthen the apostolic community to speak your word, God, to proclaim it on the streets, Lord, to show your love and your mercy, God, how much greater it is than what we provide ourselves. And Jesus, tonight, I am believing that all across this nation, Lord, that your name can be spoken, God. And as your name is spoken, Jesus, that your power, your Holy Spirit, God, can begin to flow and fill people. God, Lord, that delusion can be lifted off to see you, God, in your light that you want to shine inside of people's lives. God, tonight we pray for our city, God, for the community, God, for every person who is wronged, God, that they would not harbor hatred, God, or they would not harbor things inside of their hearts, Lord, that would lead them away from you, God. But Lord, we know that you are a just God. And so tonight we put these issues in your hand, God, believing that you know how to handle them, God. You know how to work through them, Jesus. And God, it is by your name and by your power, God, that these things can be strengthened all across our country tonight. And Jesus, I am thankful for the faith that is in this place for that to happen, God. We are thankful for what you are going to do, God, and we give glory to your name tonight in Jesus' name. Let's just praise him one more time before we are seated. And Hallelujah.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' name. We're going to continue forward with our lessons, and um, I believe that my, my mom has handed out some uh, papers, if, uh, or Chrissy has, yes, in Jesus' name, and uh, we're thankful for her doing that and uh, all that sort of stuff. If you are online, we still do not have those uploaded. Um, the scanner just did not want to work or cooperate, so we do not have those up there in Jesus' name. But I'm thankful that you all came here tonight to listen to the Word of God, to be in this place, and um, we're going to just continue on like it was three or four months ago in Jesus' name, and let God reach us. I know that we have changed some things up here, and tonight you may have saw the text that um, we're going to open up the sanctuary before services um, for prayer. And so please, if you want to uh, pray, come in here to the sanctuary. If you want a fellowship, please do that outside the building. There's plenty of room out there, clean air, so that you, you don't infect anybody or whatever. But if you want to come in here and pray, um, please do so. Find a place to, to sit and pray or, or whatever it may be. Just, just find your own little world there and let God just lead you in some deep prayer. Um, it can be just as powerful as the prayer room in the back and uh, what God did with that. And so we're excited about that. I, I'm excited about it because... Uh, for a long while, it's been three or four of us that have been able to pray in here, and um, sometimes you like praying with your church body and the people around you and hearing them pray with you in Jesus' name, and so um, I am excited for, for um, having you all here beyond belief. Um, it, it, it even got lonely for us in here sometimes, I think, but um, you know, the anointing was still here just as powerful as um, you know, online or other senses, and so God works through that stuff, and um, we are just so thankful for what he has done. Does anybody remember the faith that we spoke about last Wednesday? You probably cheat and look in your books. But unwavering faith. Did you look, bro? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, off the top of his head in Jesus' name. Unwavering faith is what we spoke about last Wednesday. And it was an absolutely uh, incredible lesson. Um, if it didn't encourage you, then, then I don't know what will. But man, to me, that was just something that I'm like, I need this. I need unwavering faith inside of my life. Something that I can step into circumstances and be willing to proclaim Jesus and proclaim his name to the people around me. And uh, I want to do that. And so tonight we are going to continue along the lessons of contending for the faith. And tonight we are going to speak about striving for the faith. Striving for the faith, that we all want to strive for it to see God do some incredible things through this. And not to mention tonight, I, I'm going to end a little bit early because tonight we have a baptism in Jesus' name. Sister Bethany, um, for those of you who do not know, she got the Holy Ghost Sunday night um, after service. And uh, so we are going to baptize her tonight in Jesus' name, and we are excited about that. And uh, we're going to have a good time in, in Jesus' name back there as well with that. So let's dive into this lesson tonight so that we can get to the, the fun and the exciting part in Jesus' name. Striving for the faith. It says this in Jude chapter 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints earnestly contending for that faith. 
That's what we're going to speak about here and, and learn about a couple more characters that really demonstrated to us inside of the Bible about living this thing out. And I want to remind you that these people are human beings like you and I. And I know that I say that a lot, but I try to remind people of that because when I was younger, when I was first coming into the church, I used to think, man, I could never be like these disciples or these apostles. They're just incredible people. And somehow God favored them and gave them a miracle in their life to where they could just automatically overcome all this stuff that they were going through. And in all senses, that wasn't what it was. They were human beings, and they had to participate in receiving the Spirit of God. They had to participate in learning the Word of God. They had to participate in everything that you and I have to do, uh, including defeating sin, um, in order to see what God wants to do for our lives. And so we can be just like them and contend for that faith tonight in Jesus' name. It says this in, in the introduction. It says, The early church in the book of Acts was a revival church. It was a growing church. And it had growing pains like any growing congregation. Part of those growing pains was a need to appoint more ministers on staff. A decision was made to appoint seven young ministers of a good report to be on staff and to help with the daily duties of this growing Christian congregation in Jerusalem. Stephen was one of those chosen to serve in this capacity. You'll see this in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5 and some of the qualifications that they had there. Stephen is listed first, which may indicate he was one of the leaders in this group. He was used in the gifts and great miracles were accomplished under his ministry. One thing we know for sure, he was powerfully anointed and a fearless preacher. His sermon in Acts chapter 7 indicates that he was well educated in the Old Testament. The combination of faith, knowledge, and boldness made him a convincing preacher of the gospel. He did not pull any punches in his preaching. He was not politically correct, and he was not religiously correct. He told the Jews their temple was just a building and that God was much bigger than their building. He charged their fathers with killing the prophets who foretold of Christ's coming, and they were co-conspirators in his death. Lastly, he declared that they had not kept the law. With this final indictment, they went crazy. They picked up stones to stone him, but as the stones were crushing upon him, young Stephen began calling out to God. Standing nearby was a young lawyer named Saul. He was brilliant. He had been trained in the best schools by the best teacher. He was ambitious, and he was focused. And as a Roman citizen, he worked the legal channels and gained permission from local authorities to allow that mob to take Stephen's life. The Romans were tired of all the uprisings. They wanted all the insurrection to stop as quickly as possible. Instead of recanting or begging for mercy, Stephen declared, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Just to clarify, he wasn't seeing two different beings, but that's a way of speaking about um, somebody, under, or somebody with authority at that point. But this event not only ignited the church, but it also left an indelible impact on the heart and the mind of young Saul. Little did he know, but the Lord had plans for him that would soon transform his life. And who did Saul become later on? Paul. Saul became Paul later on. And it was because of Stephen and God working through him in faith in many different ways. So the first point tonight says this, that Stephen was a man of good report. He was a man of good report. We must be people of character before we can be people of faith. We must be people of character before we can be people of faith. That we 
begin to get certain parts of our lives down before we begin to say, I want to go and do these crazy things for God. We begin to look in the scripture and begin to see the basics of what maybe little stepping stones we need to get right in our lives first before we begin to go crazy about wanting God to use us in some amazing, miraculous ways. Let, let me give you an example of this, about how we need character before we can become people of faith. Elisha and Elijah, two people that we spoke about uh, just a little while ago. You see, Elijah, as we spoke about, he was in a cave, and, and God began to strengthen him and told him to go down and find somebody that would be a helpmeet for him and to find somebody that would strengthen him and that sort of thing. And so Elijah leaves this cave, and he goes down, and he sees this man named Elijah plowing the field right before him. And, and if the name isn't the thing that indicates that, man, this is God's will, then I don't know what was. But no, you know, Elijah goes down there and he sees that Elijah is out there doing work, plowing this field. And he walks up to him and, and he throws his mantle on him. Just as simple as that. Elijah knew what it meant that, that, God was, or that there was a calling that was put on his life. But, but Elijah at this particular point in time thought that this mantle meant, okay, now my life is all about serving my leader, who is Elijah. You see, this says that there was no promise of the supernatural for Elijah. No, no promise at all. There was no promise of a promotion inside of Elijah's life. The, the basic fact is that when Elijah threw that on Elijah, the only thing that he knew is, I am here and I am meant to serve Elijah. It even got so detailed that Elijah says, well, I need to go say goodbye to a few people and, and that sort of thing. And Elijah said, no, we don't have time for that. We need to quickly move on to the ministry that God has called us to do. Elijah didn't even have time to go by, say, say bye to his relatives and the people that were around him. Elijah quickly put this mantle on him and he was quickly called from that. You see, there was a character trait that was inside of him that needed to begin to, to flourish side of the kingdom of God. And Elijah saw this in him. At first, the mantle represented service. That for Elijah, all that he was going to be doing was serving the person who had put the mantle upon him. That his sole goal was to make sure that person was fed, that they had what they needed to, to do what they told him to do, everything like that, and not question it by any means. But the second time, the mantle that was placed on Elijah was representing the supernatural. Because Elijah and Elijah were walking around, but you see, after they've walked around for a little while, Elijah's taken up in the chariot of fire, and Elijah's standing back, and he has to cover his eyes because it's so bright, and it's incredible what is happening there. And God puts a mantle upon Elijah, the second mantle, that begins to represent the supernatural that will begin to occur in his life. But in order for that supernatural to begin to occur in his life, there needed to be a character trait in his life before the faith and the supernatural could begin to unfold around him. You see, this has some powerful words here. It says, everyone wants the second mantle, but nobody wants that first mantle. Everybody wants a word, but nobody wants to work. Everyone wants the fire, but no one wants the fight. Everyone wants the supernatural, but nobody wants the sacrifice. Powerful words when you begin to think about what people had to begin to do to really begin to strive for faith and have faith built up inside of their lives to get to that point where they were at that unwavering faith 
Mark. I listened to a podcast the other day, and it was pretty interesting. They were asking this person, and I don't even remember who it was, but they asked this person, what do you think is wrong with, or, or what is one recommendation you could give to the current generation in the church? What is one thing that you could tell them? And this person began to speak, and they said, the issue with the generation today is that my generation, we have discovered that instead of just offering service to the church and sacrificing and giving to the church, we have figured out that we can get paid for doing things for the church. So my generation has said, well, yeah, I can create good graphics for a church, and, and, and I could donate to that church if I wanted to, but you know what? I, I can get paid for that. So, pastor, I'll do that, but please pay me this much to do it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay people for what they do and that sort of thing, but there's a mistake that we make when we automatically going to say, you owe me something for something that I do in everything that we do for the church. There's a big mistake when we begin to tell that to God and saying, God, well, if I'm going to do this, then you owe me this. God, there, I mean, that's a huge thing when we begin to demand that from God. What would have happened if Elijah said, well, you know what, Elijah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go say bye to my parents because in my morals, these are right, and so I need to go say bye to them before I follow you along with you. He would have never been able to experience the supernatural faith that would occur inside of his life. But he had to immediately submit himself to the call of God, to what God was speaking to him, and say, you know what? My leader is telling me something here, and it is vitally important in my walk with God. This could be a life-changing thing. And for most of us, we would think saying bye to our parents, how could that be a life-changing thing in our books? But for Elijah, it was. It could have cost him all of that sort of stuff. And so he realized that when the man of God begins to speak something or speak a word or begins to come across that it is not time to refuse that for weeks on end and dance all around this stuff and try to resist that for years on end and, and say, I'm not going to believe in that because it could cost you the supernatural faith that God wants to pour into your life. It's a risky, risky situation. And it takes character inside of us to really submit and say, I'm going to be submissive to these things. I'm going to be willing to sacrifice and give some of myself to see the church proceed. I'm going to sacrifice and be willing to give of my time to teach Bible studies to people. Not expecting pay, not expecting gifts or things to do these things, but I just want to do it to reach souls and people around me in Jesus' name. It was a humbling thing to hear that about my generation. And I think that it's in some other generations that that lack of, of service is there, that it's very alive in it as well. But you see, the faith that carried Stephen through his suffering was obtained through his willingness to serve. Stephen also faced this. That the, the faith that carried him through his suffering in these hard times, it was obtained through his willingness to serve. That that's where he built that faith up that would continue to help him through those various places. It was a character trait that needed to build into faith. So let me ask you all this question tonight. And if you're online, you can send them in on Facebook Live and Sister C will get them and she'll shout them out tonight in Jesus' name. But what are some character traits that every Christian should have? What are some character traits that you think every Christian should have? Yes, brother. Humility. Humility. Awesome. Anybody else? Integrity. Integrity, yes. Absolutely. A desire to follow God. A desire to follow God. Yes, amen. These are good answers. Sir. 
Real good answers. What's that? Patience. Did I hear patience somewhere? Yes. Joy. Yes, absolutely. Kindness. Faithfulness. Amen. Perseverance. Yes. Amen. Meekness. Yes. These are great character traits. Being a good worker at work. Yes. A good character trait, huh? What's that? Being a servant. Yes. Absolutely. Discuss them. Honesty. Yes. Love. Yes. Absolutely. That's a good one, brother. It's a good one. Awesome. A Bible reader. Yes. Amen. Character traits that we should have as Christians. And you all know these things, and it's probably because you've read your Bibles. And that's a good thing in Jesus' name, that we see these things. You can look at the fruits of the Spirit. You can look at uh, these different pieces that you can begin to say, I want those character traits inside of my life. And if you struggle with them, then print them out on a piece of paper and stick them on your mirror in the bathroom so you have to look at it every day. Or stick it on the windshield in your car so you have to look at it on your way to work. You can do these things. Yes. Yeah, self-discipline, understanding, and trust. Absolutely. A doer of the word and not just a hearer in Jesus' name. Amen. So absolutely. So we see that Stephen, that he was a man that was full of faith. And again, you can see this in Acts chapter 6 if you want to read the whole story. We're just kind of generalizing it here tonight. And it says this, that contending for the faith requires us to be full of faith. That contending for the faith requires us to be full of faith. Faith triggers the favor of God, but it is not something that we can do just halfway. It is not something that we can just begin to say, well, I'm going to give this much today, but God, the rest of it is up to you. There's times where in our lives we may become physically exhausted to the point where we may become spiritually exhausted to the point where we say, God, I need your help to help me go further than this. That's not what this is speaking about here. This is speaking about when we have the ability to go forward and we're only willing to go in halfway and pick and choose the parts that we want to apply to our lives. Faith triggers the favor of God, but it is not something that we can do halfway. Think about these people, Ananias and Sapphira. Does anybody know these two people and what happened to them? They died, right? And why, why did they die, brother? Do you remember? Because they lied to God, right? They were supposed to bring all of their possessions, but they only brought some of their possessions. They hid the rest and said, these are all of our possessions here. They died. They only went halfway in giving their all to God at that time. Or what about Simon the sorcerer? Somebody remember this guy with Peter? Yeah, right. And he was rebuked, right, for doing that. Absolutely, Simon the sorcerer. Or what about King Agrippa? Does anybody remember what King Agrippa said? Yeah, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Things that are showing us and over and over again, these people rebuked. God was saying, you got to be all in with this faith thing. you got to be willing to step out there and trust me with it. you got to be willing to believe that, that, that I can do this for you. 
You got to be willing to run into it saying, God, I trust you. I know you're going to do this. You got to be willing to tell the people around you when they ask that God is going to do this. You got to be willing to trust and have faith in me and these circumstances. Not just halfway of saying, well, he may or may not do it, but saying, God, I believe you will do it. And if you decide not to, then that's certainly your, your way of doing it. But God, I believe that you will do this in Jesus' name. That, that's the way that you can begin to pray for people. That's the way that you can begin to speak things into people's lives. Is you say, I know that God can do this for you. But if God doesn't do it, then, then that's his deal. That's his thing that is there. Sometimes it's not a, because of a lack of faith. But it's just that we got to picture it inside of our minds. If you were listening Sunday morning... You heard the, the, uh, Brother Klein then speak about that, that if you can picture yourself standing there, getting the Holy Ghost, lifting your hands and that sort of thing, if you can picture that in your mind, that that is enough faith for this thing to move forward, that that is all the faith that you need to have for something to change about or for mountains to be moved around you. It's really just quite simple, and sometimes we sophisticate it so much inside of our lives. And so this next one here says this, that those who are full of faith that they will fight for the faith. It is not something that they use for their benefit or set aside for when there is inconvenience inside of their lives. It is not something to be used for a benefit, but these people fight for their faith. It's their lifestyle. It's who they are. It's how we walk about. It's that unwavering faith that we spoke about last time. That when we walk into a workplace, when we walk into a situation and somebody begins to challenge us about the faith inside of our lives, we are willing to say, I trust it, I believe it, I, I dress a certain way, I do certain, uh, I live a certain way, I don't go to certain places, I don't, I'm not involved in certain things because I want God to impact my life. We stand with that passionately. We stand as an army for God, saying that I want to have faith in him that he can do these things for me, and I am going to fight for it in Jesus' name. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible to believe, but not wholly believe? W-H-O-L-L-Y. Wholly believe. Is it possible to believe, but not wholly believe, or not entirely believe? What do you think? No. Lots of people do it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I forget I need to repeat these uh, for the live stream, but lots of people do it. And what was the second part again? Sorry. Yes, picking and choosing which scripture they want to believe. Absolutely. Yes, brother. Yes, we need to let God build up that faith in us, and we will let him do that in Jesus' name. I was going to say, you know, like at the beginning of our walk, we, we, we start believing, you know, but I don't know that we wholly believe, because each year or each week I live longer for God, I have a stronger belief, and I understand more, and I see more, so I thought I wholly believed when 
first started living for God, but you know, I, the more I live for him, the more I learn that I don't know. I mean, there's more to learn. I, I believe more and more and more and more. My faith gets stronger. So I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That faith begins to grow. I, I love that. I love these answers. This is good stuff. I, I agree 100% with you all that you, you come into this thing and you're like, man, you know, this is, this is the faith that I need and it will, um, it will get me through some of these things. And you go through some circumstances and you're like, man, my faith wasn't as strong as I thought it might be. And so absolutely. Did anybody respond online? Give them a shot. Yes. Yes. That is the answer to it. So I think we're in agreement here tonight that, yeah, that there is that possibility to believe but not wholly believe uh, in, in, in what we have that faith in. And so we, we must begin to desire, go into Bible studies like this, or, or seek these, these stories of these people who God strengthened in, in various times and use their stories to apply to our own lives, to encourage us to believe deeper, to have more faith, to live stronger for God and what he wants to do inside of us. And so we see this in Stephen as well, that he was full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, that he was full of the Holy Ghost, but he was also full of wisdom in the things that he did. It says, being led by the Spirit is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for inappropriate behavior and speech. I think we all have seen this at some point before where somebody, man, they get a hold of this scripture and they begin to stand on something and just blast somebody or whatever or begin to hit them with the Bible or whatever it may be in particular circumstances and they think that because of having the Holy Ghost that it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, that I can treat people that way, I can disrespect people, I can go around disrespecting people because I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Ghost and they don't and that sort of thing. And that is not what this is a get-out-of-jail-free card for. That is absolutely not what this is by any sense. The Spirit won't lead us to embarrass others needlessly, and it will not lead us to challenge spiritual authority inside of our lives either. I I think we all have seen that at some point too, that somebody steps in and, man, they begin to challenge spiritual authority inside of their lives. And, And that's a dangerous territory that we begin to get into. But you see, Stephen... He was somebody that when we look at his character, when we begin to uncover who he truly was, that he was somebody that in, the, in Acts chapter 6, if you look at the qualifications there, he met those qualifications and he easily began to step into that unwavering faith where he went in front of an entire group of people. And if you read Acts chapter 7, you will see how strongly he preached and proclaimed the word of God against these people. I mean, he was absolutely, he wasn't there to embarrass or to blast them, but he was there to speak the word that God had given to them. And because his character was so pure before that, it was very easy for him to step into that situation and be able to proclaim the word of God the way he did, because he was living righteously unto God before that. He was submitting himself unto spiritual authority. Paul, and uh, or not, not Paul at that time, but the, those that chose him, and, and, and Peter, and, and, and those people in the scripture here that chose him to be one of these disciples. Another person would be David, who exercised his great faith to kill Goliath. The people of Israel noticed that he behaved himself wisely, is what Scripture says in 1 Samuel 18 and 5, that David was one of these people. And so the problem with David, though, was that this notoriety began to come with a price tag. And and it does as well when we are leading spiritually and when we're speaking uh, about faith and that sort of stuff, the notoriety, it it begins to come with a price tag, that it's going to begin to cost a lot more than we originally thought. 
that if you pray for somebody and they're healed, believe me, there's going to be a lot of things that begin to come against you. There's going to be people that are saying, man, that was awesome. There's going to be people that are trying to make you God in front of God. There's going to be other people that are saying, well, God, why didn't you do that through me? I don't like that person anymore. It begins to put this price tag on something that is so simple as far as faith that it begins to challenge us in numerous ways. And now we can begin to see why character is such a huge thing inside of this. I, I, I hate to bring this up, but I, I'm just reminded about a conversation that I was having earlier today about the, these officers that are in these lines and people coming up and doing things in their face and how difficult it is to stand there. If you haven't experienced this before, I don't know how you could experience I was going to say maybe you should try it, but, but if, you, if you stand there and somebody yells in your face saying things against you, how difficult it is to restrain yourself in that particular circumstance. I've experienced it. I've been in that situation standing there. And for me as a Christian, it was extremely difficult to hold that in. And so for somebody who isn't a Christian, I can't imagine how difficult it truly would to be to restrain yourself at that point. But the only way that you're going to be able to hold up under pressure when you have faith in your life and God is doing some incredible things and all of these um, price tags and enemies are beginning to come against you and shout at you and yell at you in your face and, and that sort of stuff. And it feels like you're ready to just lash out and go crazy and start tipping chairs over and do all this crazy stuff. That, that when, it, when, when you feel like doing that against the spiritual enemies that are around you, your character is what is going to hold you strong in that moment. And say, you know what? I have faith in God. And he has put me in this place. And I can have humility. Just like Stephen did. Just like David did. When people began to lift him up. David not only faced that. But then you begin to see that Saul overheard that David was becoming better than him. So Saul, the king of the land, was trying to hunt him down all over these chases and kill him. And you all know the story of the craziness that David had to went through. David had the chance to kill him. David had the chance to completely wipe Saul off the map, knowing that he was rightfully the one that would take the throne after him. However, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He let his character shine through. We begin to see why character is so much more essential than faith initially. That character has to be built up so that when God begins to move faith through our lives, it begins to become something that God wants to do through us. And it doesn't become all about us or it doesn't begin to hurt people or it doesn't begin to take them away from what God wants to do there. You see there's a challenge there that may begin to come. And so in First Samuel, again, this scripture here, it says, and the woman answered one to another as they they uh, played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So again, the scripture, they're saying, David, man, he's doing his ten thousands. And Saul, man, he just does the thousands. It's not really that big of a deal. And then it goes on to say in 1812, it says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, and yet he was departed from Saul. So you begin to see a challenge again that David had inside of this, that God was anointing David because of his character, because of his humility in this circumstance, and he was removing his favor from Saul, and Saul was not happy or pleased with that. There's always going to be that challenge there, and it, it, no matter what, what time frame we're in and that sort of stuff, if you have human beings around, this is always going to be something there, that there's always going to be a challenge coming against something that you are doing. 
Maybe you have a Bible study and somebody's healed, or maybe you have a Bible study and somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost and all these great things are happening and, and all that sort of stuff. But you have a neighbor next door that says, man, you know, I believe in the Scripture too, but you don't need to be doing all that. Or, I mean, you could just go down the, the list of this. That's why our faith and our wisdom must stand strong in these circumstances. We must be willing to let the Lord fight our battles, and ultimately we, we must be the ones that take the high road and say, you know what, I'm willing to give up a little here so that I can gain a lot in the kingdom of God. I'm willing to give up a little bit here that people may look around and say, why did you do that? That was absolutely foolish. How come you let that person hit you? How come you let them do that to you? How come you let these things happen? I'm not saying that you shouldn't defend yourself in certain circumstances, but, but absolutely there's times that we need to be willing to say, I'm going to take the high road, and I'm not going to sit here and argue. I'm not going to sit here and entertain these things because I have faith in God, and that's more important than, than what is around here. And so that leads us to our next point here that says this, that Stephen, he was full of power, and that power became his strength to help him stand for his faith in the face of severe adversity. Full of power, and that power was what ultimately helped him stand in the face of that severe adversity. The power of God in our lives is directly proportional to the humility that we demonstrate in our interaction with others. That's a powerful phrase when you begin to think about that. The power of God in our lives is directly proportional to the humility we demonstrate in our interaction with others. Does somebody want to explain that tonight? Directly proportional. Can somebody explain what maybe that means to you? Or you think it might mean in your life? I don't know if I can explain this really yes. good, but uh, when I allow God to work in words that let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And when I kind of get all huffy, I usually mess up. That's, that, that was good, brother. I think that was really good. That was a great way of explaining it. Anybody else have anything to add to that? I, I think he hit it right on the, the head there. Absolutely. Yes, humility. It's something that is absolutely proportional to what God is going to do inside of our lives. See, neither Stephen nor David tried to retaliate against the people that were coming against them which is just incredible when you begin to think about it. Neither of them began to retaliate. Stephen had the opportunity to. He could have picked the stones up and threw them back. He, he could have ran at them and tried to defeat them like all these other people, Samson. He could have said, well, there's a story about, you know, this incredible guy in the Bible, and I believe that God has given me all this strength, so come on, guys, bring it on. Let's, let's do this here. He could have said that. But no, he, he humbled himself in that circumstance. And he said, you know what? God, I have faith in you. I trust in this circumstance. I delivered the message. I did what you asked me to do. But I'm going to be here, and I'm going to serve. And you see how powerful that circumstance was. Taking a stand for our faith involves learning how to deal with unexpected setbacks, just like these people. We have all had unexpected setbacks or explosions inside of our lives. This gives the example of Apollo 13, how all of the Apollo missions, 13 before that, or 12 before that, were all set on going to the moon. 
But Apollo 13 has an explosion and a huge setback, and automatically their perspective or, or their goal goes from we want to get to the moon to now we need to start saving lives here. Their perspective completely changed inside of that, 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 uh, that, that explosion that happened inside of their lives. But what it does is it gives us an example that if there is an explosion or a setback that happens inside of our lives, there's a reason that is probably happening. There's a reason that God wants to work through that situation. That, that's why even in the midst of this, that we can begin to look and say, you know what, we've experienced an explosion. Many of us feel that we have experienced setbacks, that we were on the right track, that God was doing some incredible things, and now it's all came to a screeching halt, and we can't do all of those things. So God, what do you want done inside of the circumstance? But really what just needs to happen inside of that is God just needs to take our focus and shift it from what we thought needed to happen to now what he wants to begin to have happen inside of that circumstance. We begin to refocus our vision on the things of God, and that's where faith truly begins to happen because now it's not my idea that I came up with. It's not my things that are beginning to unfold, but it is God's things, and he is saying this is the big picture down the road. This is what I desire to have happen. Now I want Want you to begin to have faith that it can happen and when you have faith in that picture to begin to unfold God will begin to produce some steps and some places that will begin to put you in places that you have never thought that you would go before it's really incredible and miraculous when you think about that Peter and John two other people they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame in the name of Jesus they, they counted it worthy they were excited they were praising God about being worthy at that moment to suffer for his kingdom. They had to refocus from saying, man, we need to be out on the streets re reaching people and that, that sort of thing that we can only praise people inside of a church or whatever it may be. And their focus had to become, you know what? If we're going to be inside of this jail and getting whipped and, and this sort of stuff, we might as well praise God for having the ability to suffer for living for the name of Jesus. Their faith was something that was completely different. The author of this, he says, sometimes my three children will kid me about doing something that is old and out of date, and I will always say thank you. I'm sure if you're a parent here, you've experienced this before, your kids coming up and saying, man, you're out of date, or how do you not know how to do that on your phone, or how, you know, the, the, this sort of stuff. But he always says thank you. And they respond by saying, dad, we did not mean that as a compliment. And I counter with, but I took it as one. You see, this drives them crazy, and if we refuse to take an intended hurt as a hurt, no weapon formed against us can prosper. If we refuse to take those stabs, those hurts, those things that people begin to throw at us, the things that darkness and enemy begins to throw at us, the things that news media and all that sort of stuff begin to blast about our churches, believe me, you can go online and begin to look up apostolic churches and see all sorts of things that will begin to hurt you and, and, and try to change your mind and that sort of stuff. If you begin to go and feel all that sort of stuff coming up against you, it is your perspective that is going to change them from either hurting you and killing you or from saying, you know what, that, that's there, I'm just going to step up on it and I'm going to keep on going. It just lifted me a little bit higher in the kingdom of God. It's when faith begins to raise us up above that because we begin to say God is so much better 
than these things that are coming at me that are being thrown at me. It's when we begin to say that, man, these hurts are here, but you know what? Inside of the scripture, I'm not seeing where God intends hurt for me, where he intends the weapons of the enemy to prosper. That's not what my scripture says, but it says that, man, the weapons of my enemy shall not prosper. Well, how do they not prosper? It's by saying, you know what? You can throw that at me. You can hurt me. You can scar me. You can nick me. You can do all of these things that you want to try to do to me, but ultimately it is not going to defeat the faith that God has put inside of my life. It's unwavering faith. Contending for the faith requires this, and I have to hurry on here tonight, but it says this. Let's see here. Contending for the faith it requires finishing strong. I don't know if you all have watched the blooper reels on YouTube of sports clips and that sort of thing. These guys that get the football and they're running down the field and they're out ahead of the pack by you know hundreds of yards, or I guess not hundreds of yards, but many yards. That shows how much I watch this sort of stuff. They're out in front of the, the opposite team and they're running down the field about ready to score this incredible touchdown. And then they start doing this fancy dance about one yard from the touchdown. And they either drop the ball or they get tackled or something happens right before the touchdown where they do not cross that line and actually make the touchdown because they were so foolish to think that they could be, bring all this pride and this stuff to them at that particular moment. Contending for the faith requires finishing strong. It's not about getting just a yard from the touchdown and get, doing this little happy dance and showing everybody how good you are and all this sort of stuff. No, it's saying, you know what? God, I'm going to go until I cross that finish line, until I make it there. And then when I'm in the touchdown zone, then I can do the happy dance and then I can praise with God and then I can bring the excitement there. It's incredible to think sometimes the things that try to resist us in this. This one person who was in the Olympics, he said this, the most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. Just, the most, or just as the most important thing in life is not to triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well inside of the battle. Strong words when you begin to think about some of these things here. And Paul, he was a strong contender for the faith because he kept his eyes on the finish line. And he made that clear in the scripture that he spoke about this, where he says, man, finish the race. Don't finish, you don't have to finish first, you don't have to finish last, but finish the race. Do your best to drag yourself across that finish line. Do your best to have faith in God while you are running the circles around that track. Just finish the race, that if you begin to slow down or you begin to stumble over certain things, don't give up, but finish the race. Cross the line and get to that place where you can worship God. Don't let these hurts, don't let these things that other people are saying, don't let these other beliefs begin to discourage you from what you are doing. It's not about the house or the money or the things around us that we can see, but it is about crossing the finish line. It is about finishing the race. And faith is part of how that happens. So how does the right perspective give us the necessary strength to make right decisions? How, how do you think? How does the right perspective give us the necessary strength to make the right decision? Yes, brother. Because if we don't, if we have the wrong perspective, we may act out how we feel or how we act or whatever. But if we keep that right perspective, then it will help us to be able to win 
back off our emotions or control our actions before something gets out of hand and before it makes us uh, have people question about who we really are or who we believe in. Absolutely. Anybody else? How are the right perspective helps us cross that, that line? Or make right decisions. Yes. I think like Paul, when you said that he kept the end of the race in his mind, everything he went through, he weighed on whether or not it would get him closer to that end or not. And so having that perspective helps you be strong because it tells you which direction to go. And when you get pointed in the right direction, it's a lot easier to run that way. Yeah. I think that's very fitting. You see that so many times where he's speaking about, man, you know, there were things that weren't necessarily sin, but they were a weight to me. So I push it aside because I'm looking at that finish line, just something that's holding me down a little bit, weighing me down, aching my muscles a little bit more. Finish line is in sight. Amen. Anybody else have something on that? The right perspective, how it gives us necessary strength to make those right decisions. Jesus' name. Anybody else? What's that? Having a vision of the long, the bigger picture, right. reality of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. When you have that vision of that bigger picture, it's a lot easier to strive for it, to contend for it, to want to get to that place. This brings out an interesting story here. It's speaking of another Olympic race where um, the, these people uh, in Mexico City, they were running this this incredibly long race. and. On this, this uh, the, the people were finishing, you know, one after another, and, and they were about ready to close the gates and shut the thing down because almost all the runners had come in. And this one who uh, had uh, walked in there at the very end, he was the last one to, to come in and to finish. Somebody asked him this question. He said, they said, why did you continue the race after you were so badly injured because he had fallen and, and hurt his, his uh, believe his ankle and his knee quite severely. So they're asking him, why did you finish the race if you were so badly injured? And uh, Akari, I believe is how you say it, he replied, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish the race. When you begin to think about that here too, that, that in the kingdom of God, God didn't send you to this earth. Well, I mean, he didn't let you be born in this world just so that you could start the race or finish it first. But he did it so that you could finish the race. He sent you here so that people around you could begin to say, you know what, if that person can finish the race, then I can finish the race as well. Your life might become an encouragement to somebody around you. This says that losers focus on what they are going through but ultimately winners focus on where they are going to go to. Losers focus on what they are going through, but winners focus on where they are going to. That's incredible when you begin to think about, man, I want Jesus in my sight. I want Jesus as the the thing that is that big picture they're saying, I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can. I realize that the trail might zigzag a little bit and that sort of thing, but, you know, Scripture says that it's a narrow path, that it's something that might be a little bit tough. It might be daunting, and people might begin to question. If you 
Go back to Paul again, thinking about how he is a Roman citizen and how he is one of these elite people and how he set up the killings of people like Stephen and how he set these and made it just right so that these people could die. And then all of a sudden he completely changes to now where he's giving up his house and he's giving up his belongings and he's giving up his good coats and his citizenship and all these various things in order to go to these dusty, dark places where people are, are infested with different diseases and all this sort of stuff to pray for them and to speak in their congregations and in these these institutions and, and, and his buddies are just looking at him and saying Paul what are you doing this is insane these things that you're beginning to do but Paul was contending for the faith he was striving for the faith that was there saying that finish line is there and I don't want to finish it alone but I want somebody to be coming alongside me finishing that race as well. That's why Paul was willing to write all of those things, not because he was a superman again or some superhuman being, but he was just like you and I. And he said, I want to strive for the faith that is there. And if nothing else here tonight has convinced you to strive for the faith or to live for God or to seek that out, then this next point should that there is a great cloud of witnesses, scripture says. You see, contending for the faith is a ministry that puts us in good company. It begins to put you in the race with people like Paul, with people like Stephen, with people like David, with people like Pastor Carnahan, with people around us that we say, man, those people I look up to and they can face these situations and, and I just don't know how they do it. But when you begin to run the race and you begin to strive for the faith, then you will begin to get on that track and you will begin to accomplish those things. You will begin yeah. to see that finish line and say, you know what, that finish line is closer than I really think it is and I can yeah. get across it. I can make it there with a banner. I can do it in Jesus' name and, and, and we can see these things happen because witnesses are not just spectators. Witnesses are those who have gone before and they have taken a stand. You begin to join this club of these people and everybody has the opportunity to do this, to join this group of people that that says, I am striving for the things of God. I want to get there. I want to see the things of God happen in my church. I want to see the things of God happen in my household. I want to see the things of God happen in my workplace, inside of my car, inside of these places that I step, the grocery store, the, the convenience store, whatever it may be. We begin to say that I want to see these things happen because if they can take a stand as human beings around me, then I can take a stand tonight. If you would just lift your hands tonight, let's just pray that here for just a second. God, we believe that tonight, God. Lord, that these people desire to contend, God, to strive for the faith that you have given them, Lord. I am believing that you are putting that unwavering faith inside of their lives, God, that encouragement to strive for that finish line, God, to strive for that thing that is greater, Lord. We believe that tonight, Jesus, that you will begin to open our eyes, Lord, to the great things things that happen, Lord, when we run that race for you, Jesus, let that be poured out tonight upon every one of us, God, that we'd walk out of here wanting to stand stronger than we ever have before for you, Jesus. Tonight, we want to do that in your name, Jesus. And God, I'm believing that for everyone that is here tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He is such a good God, and I am believing that tonight for every person 
that is here in Jesus' name. I want to finish with a brief story, and if you want to stand, you can, or you can sit however you want. But God honors those who strive for the faith by releasing supernatural power into their lives. Just remember that. The faith that they strove for is not just confined to biblical characters, but it is still a goal for modern-day disciples. William Seymour. Has anybody heard of William Seymour before? Yes. yes. Incredible guy. William Seymour was the oldest child in his large family. He lived his early years in abject poverty. In 1896, the family's possessions were listed as one old bed set, one old chair, and one old mattress. All of his mother's personal property was valued at 55 cents. In Cincinnati, Ohio, after a near, a near fatal bout with smallpox, Seymour yielded to the call to ministry. This illness had left him blind in one eye and it scarred his face. For the rest of his life, he wore a beard to hide the scars. Seymour arrived in Los Angeles in February 1906, moving into the home of Edward Lee, a janitor at a local bank. Bishop Seymour began ministry with a prayer group that had been meeting in regular at the home of Richard and Ruth Asbury at 214 North Bonnie Bray. As the group sought God for revival, their, hungry, or their hunger intensified. Finally, on April 9th, Lee was baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. When the news of his baptism was shared with the believers at Bonnie Bray, a powerful outpouring followed. Many received the Holy Spirit baptism as Pentecostal revival arrived on the West Coast. Quickly outgrowing the Asbury home, the faithful searched for a home for a new church. They found their building at 312 Azusa Street. If you've heard of the Azusa Street revival. In that old broken building, Bishop Seymour led the group in seeking the face of God. News of the supernatural power of God spread rapidly among all nationalities, the prosperous and the poor, immigrants and natives. And for the next two years, waves of religious enthusiasm waxed and waned at Azusa Street, attracting visitors from across the nation and missionaries from around the globe. The heart of any man or woman who will take a stand and strive for the faith, will be knit with the mighty hand of God. It's incredible if you look it up. I encourage you to research the Azusa Street Revival. You will find newspaper articles, all sorts of stuff. It's really uh, the, the, the modern-day revival of what is happening here. And, and they did prophesy something there that they said 100 years later there would be a mightier revival than what happened there. And it is occurring right around us. You are part of that time frame of 100 years later because just a few years ago we met that 100-year mark in Jesus' name. So it's incredible to think. Let's have faith in that. Let's believe God in that in Jesus' name and expect great things from his call in Jesus' name. Let's go to the back tonight and let's finish this tonight with praising God for a baptism in Jesus' name that we are excited about. We're going to praise God in Jesus' name.